welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. Thinking this week, I was remembering we had property uh, about 16 acres in Central California is where I grew up, and so that's one reason why I love the land here because it reminds me of the small town that that I grew up in. And uh, we had a garden that we had for quite a few years, and my mom was just so into it, and the rest of the family got into it, and so we, we had tomatoes. I especially remember tomatoes because I didn't like tomatoes, and one time my brother threw like a cherry tomato, and it, I was yelling at him, and it went in my mouth, and oh, so gross, and uh, we had sunflowers and all sorts of vegetables and fruits, and, uh, but then there was pests and insects and animals that would come in to eat uh, the crop, and so we built a fence, and then we... <clears throat> did all sorts of different stuff to try to keep the pests away. And I remember there one time, even without the fence, right, a snake could still get through. So a rattlesnake was in there and my, my dad took care of the rattlesnake. Uh, and so I just remember just good memories of that. And, and, but our whole family was, we were all in about the crop of this. It was, it was we were all committed to the fruit and the crop of, of this garden and, and what would come out of it. There was an intended uh, crop that would come out of it, and it was a big picture uh, that, we, that we all wanted. And uh, I was thinking, too, uh, about uh, being interested or committed to something. Uh, there was a pig and a chicken that were sitting around talking about having eggs and bacon for breakfast. And the, you know, the, the chicken was interested in breakfast, right? Uh, but the pig was fully committed, wasn't he? Fully committed to eggs and bacon for breakfast. And it made me think about what, what we do uh, as a church and as people. And it reminded me of our theme from Acts. It's this, the unstoppable progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And right, Acts is 28 chapters. We're in chapter 9. And, you know, but we are living Acts 29, aren't we? Right? Uh, the, this unstoppable progress doesn't stop in chapter 28. We are the continuation of the mission and the message of Jesus in today. And as we read together in Acts, it's not this thing of, again, uh, it's not learning how to do religion or learning how to uh, be religious or be a churchgoer, but it's about learning how to live an altogether different life. And the question is, is, is are we interested or are we committed to the intended result that Jesus wants for us and for the church? You know, are we interested or are we committed? Because that's, that's a huge question because Jesus has an entire, uh, he has an interest in his church and his people and in our lives a certain fruit, a certain crop, just like my family. There was, we, we didn't just do it. We didn't just do that for nothing to look at it and say, oh, well, it didn't happen. The crop didn't come. So when he looks at you, when he brought you to know him, or if you're checking out Jesus today and you're kind of like on the peripheral, you know, what can you expect is that, yes, Jesus saves you. Yes, Jesus takes care of one of the biggest questions is when I walk through the door of death, you know, where will I be? Will I be with him? Yes, absolutely. 
But then there's a whole intended result in your life here, the dash of your life, right? The, you were born this year and then you died this year. What happened during that time? There's an intended result. There's an intended fruit, a crop that he has for your life. And it's all about this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is not about religion, but it's about true life breaking forth on the earth. And so that's what we're looking at today. We're going to see a church that bears fruit. We're going to see an apostle that bears fruit. And we're going to see a follower of Jesus that bears fruit. So let's pray and invite God's presence. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love for us. And we ask that today that you would move beyond our defenses, God, that you'd move beyond our fears, that we might see you, that we might walk with you, that we might go further with you, God. Uh, Lord, that you'd move beyond <clears throat> our uh, poor preconceived notions, God, of, of maybe um, what it means to follow you. Um, you'd move beyond um, any apathy that's within our hearts, God. You'd move beyond um, just any holds that just the cares of this life have upon us, God, that keep us from truly living and the lies that come in that think that uh, certain freedom is freedom, but true freedom comes from you and your spirit. So have your work in us today, God, and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus spoke to his disciples about this fruit that he wanted. And uh, John chapter 15, verse 5, it says this. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So those of you that were kind of like, Cody's making this up. No, he said it. It's right there. Jesus said it. He wants a certain fruit from our lives. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 31, uh, or the verses will be up here on the screen as well. But let's read together. It says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So first thing we're going to see is we're going to see God the Father as a master gardener. Uh, you know, Jesus, when he spoke in that chapter, in John chapter 15, it's recorded that as he talked about his disciples being with him and bearing fruit, he talked about this. He said, look, if you abide in me, right, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and my father is the gardener. My father is the gardener. So the father is a master gardener, and we see that with this church here. Uh, despite the opposition, the gospel of Jesus is unstoppable, right? Uh, you guys were taught very well the last couple of weeks by Nathan and Norm about the tail end of a great persecution. Uh, it was a persecution that, that uh, people were killed, uh, followers of Jesus. They were killed for their faith in Jesus. Um, they were beaten. They were separated from their families. They're persecuted heavily. There was much fear within the church. And then just like Jesus' style, Jesus models for them why he said, you know, don't push against your enemies, but I say pray for your enemies. Why? Because their greatest enemy, the, the chief persecutor, now became a follower of Jesus. The guy that was pushing it, just like, get the Christians, arrest the Christians, kill the Christians, standing by approving, delighting in pushing away this new movement that they called the way. Now Jesus is one, I mean, now Paul is one of them. Isn't that amazing? 
So love your enemies. Now this one is one of them. And, you know, God's kingdom work is, it's always deeper than we think. Uh, it's like when you go swimming to like a swimming hole or, or a lake or, or the ocean or a pool or somewhere, you can see sometimes labeled, uh, you know, how deep it is. But, you know, you ever, you ever tried to like swim down to the bottom somewhere? It always feels deeper than you think. That's how the kingdom of God is. See, the news will tell you, you know, God is dead. The news will tell you, you know, church attendance is shrinking. The news will tell you that, you know, people aren't believing anymore. But listen, God's kingdom is on the move. It's unstoppable, and it's moving forward, and his intention is happening. In China, uh, you know, they go through stages where they let the church kind of build up as long as they're licensed and whatnot. And then <clears throat> every once in a while, they get tired of the, the, the strength that they have. Right now, they're leveling, literally leveling buildings. Uh, there's, there's this huge building uh, that I think represented something like you know, tens of thousands of believers uh, in this part of China. And they just leveled it. They just came out and just, you can see the steeple down and the cross down. And horrible, right? I mean, it's a place for them to meet. Here's the problem, though. What they don't get is that the church has never been about a building. You see, people that worship Jesus, we don't have a holy place. We are the holy place, right? You know, we, we, don't, we don't necessarily have a priest. We're all priests. We're all set aside for it. So the kingdom of God is wherever God rules and reigns. It's not about a building. So in, actu in actuality, history shows that what they're doing is that when they level that building, they're actually prospering the church. It's always happened that way. When they tear down the central place, the people spread, and then more people come to Jesus. You know, and so it is back then. Uh, notice that it says in verse 31, it says, the church in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. You know, nowhere else in the New Testament does it talk about a church being in Galilee. But that's where Jesus was all the time. That's where he ministered. That was his, his home area. But there was a church planted in Galilee, and it was happening there. Uh, notice that it says there was a time of peace. So it, it, was a, it was a break from the constant persecution. I'm sure that there was some still. Uh, but it was also uh, really a volatile political time. There was major changes which in, within the, the priesthood. Caiaphas was replaced in AD 37. And then the same year, uh, the emperor changed, and then that emperor was assassinated four years later. So major shifting happening uh, within, within the world and the pressures against them, not just within there. It says that then the church was strengthened. So the root word here for strengthened is oikos. And so that means like a building up. So a building, a house, okay? And so what was happening is, is that God was, as a master gardener, was building up this garden that is a house, building up this church, these people. But then also the word can have a connotation of repairing as well, right? I mean, you know, think about it. They're like, Follow after Jesus. He's the way. And, and then all of a sudden, there's all kinds of a shakeup. You know, things are, people are being persecuted. People are being chased and beaten and killed. And, and so there's a repairing that God is doing too, getting their belief right as well. So that's, that's what was happening there too. And the strengthening there, the, the language is passive. So it's not something that like they were strengthening, they were participating but it was God that was doing it. So anytime in, in, in the language that it's a passive word, then what happens is it's being done to me. 
It's something we participate in, but it's something that is done to me. And it's a reminder that, you know, the church is God's. It's absolutely his. You know, this church is his. Every church, the big church, is, is God's. And he's always working in it, and he's always moving in it. And so that's what was happening there. You know, at our house, uh, because <clears throat> some of the vegetation here and stuff is new, and I'm not a great gardener. Uh, you know, I'm not great at, you know, vegetation things. I do my best. And so I try to copy my neighbors is what I'm saying. So I see what they do. And, and one of my neighbors, uh, they were out there in the spring, and they were cutting down. There's these, like, big brown things. I don't even know what plant they are. I'm like, hey, is that what you do with those now? And he says, exactly. They're dead until the fall, so you cut them now. And so uh, I'm, I meant to do it, but I, but I didn't do it until right before we left on our vacation. And I came back, and they're all green. And I looked across the street, and theirs are all green. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought it wasn't supposed to happen until the fall. So this, these plants were waiting for me as the gardener to cut them down, and then they sprouted up green. They were completely ground before, brown before. You know, and that's, that's how attentive God is in our lives. You know, we think, you know, I'm totally in charge of this thing. And, and yeah, you have a part in your faith. You have a part in this fruit. But God's tending to you, and God's working in you. And so that's what we see here. Notice that it says that they... They lived in the fear of the Lord. Uh, you know, the living is to order one's life. That's what the word means there. As Christians, we order our life after Jesus. And it's hard sometimes because we have very charismatic leaders. We have very, um, you know, amazing people. And so uh, we can tend to try to order our life after another person that we know or if you were brought up in the church, you can tend to order your faith after your parents, maybe. But as Christians, the goal is, is, to, is so that all of us would order our faith after Jesus. Uh, there was a time where John, uh, John the Baptist, he was with some of his followers, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then a little bit later, it says, it says that John's disciples didn't follow John anymore. They were with Jesus. You see, any, any pastor, any leader, any, any elder, any person, whatever, their whole goal is to do that. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and connect people to Jesus. We're conduits and we try to help that, but every person, and not just so that you say, I believe the right things, I believe in Jesus, that's good, but it's so that you would say, I follow Jesus. I'm connected to him. I order my life after him like a student and a teacher. That's the life I'm meant to live. You see, sometimes when we talk about the 12 disciples, we think it's like that's an extra echelon of, of, of people here, and that's special. But no, we're all disciples. We're all learners of Jesus, and so we're to order our life after him. And then also, when it says fear, it's reverence or respect. And then it says fear of the Lord. So the Lord is one that owns you. So think about that. Like, um, the Lord owns you. Are you okay with that? And you say, well, how does he own me? Well, you're twice his, right? He made you, and then he bought you. He paid the price for your sin. He paid the price for my sin. And so I'm his. He owns me. That's what the means. So when you say Lord, you're saying that you're the owner of me. 
And I guess I'd just kind of say, you know, like the interested, committed, are you okay with that? And it's a rub because it's like, well, I don't know. Is, is an American, is my rights and freedoms, and, you know, is it, I don't know about that. But one of the most comforting things you can do, you guys, is when you look at your life and maybe when you're sitting there, when all's good, you're cool. You're like, hey, no, I'm, I'm the captain of my ship. But when things are bad or you're struggling or you're wondering, it's so refreshing to say, you know what? My life is not my own. I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I'm his. And here's the interesting thing is that if he's Lord of your life, guess what? You are not only his, but he is yours. You don't own him, but he is yours, you guys. It's that close. And then it says uh, they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. So encourage equals comfort, right? Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, you know, it's good that I go to the Father because if I do, I'll send another person. I'll send the paraclete, the comforter, the person that would walk alongside you, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes and walks alongside of us and works in us. And so that's what he's talking about, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Comfort is brought. Uh, So uh, it also says that they increased in numbers, right? And the wording here means not addition, but it means multiplication, right? You've seen maybe business terms like, this will get you 10x, right? Um, Guess what? God created that. You know, that's what happens when you have healthy people with Jesus as Lord, respecting him, reverencing him, being encouraged by the Holy Spirit as multiplication happens within the church, Verse 32, it says, As Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Uh, There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon uh, saw him and turned to the Lord. So what we see is we see Uh, we see Peter, what he's doing is he's rooted in Jesus. He learned from Jesus. He's a student of Jesus. But then he's traveling around and he's visiting. Uh, Jesus taught that to Peter. And so as you order your life after Jesus, you'll function like him. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to go. This is just 35 minutes away. Uh, where he went from Jerusalem to Lydda. So it's 35 minutes. Now, it's much bigger sacrifice for him to travel 35 minutes than us, right? So if you really want to be biblical, go 35 minutes away and witness for Jesus. There you go, okay? Um, no, it, it, but it has to do with this idea of traveling around and visiting people. That's where God works. It absolutely always works that way, is, is that if you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to purpose today that as I go about my day, as I go into things at work or school in the neighborhood, I'm going to visit people and see how people are doing with God, see how I can serve them, see how I can love them. That's the kind of life, you guys, that God blesses. That's the kind of life that God pours into is that mindset of I'm going to do this. Why? Well, just like me with parasailing, I was checking to make sure he was there, right? Well, any time that you're going to travel around and visit and do that, guess what? You're joining him. You're joining him where he is. And so you never have to wonder, is God with me, with me if you're going about doing these things like, pe- like Peter? Now, where it says here that he went to visit the Lord's people, uh, the word here is hagios. So the first time 
uh, it's used in the New Testament. The first time the people of God are called saints in the New Testament is here and then in verse 41. But the idea when we hear saint, a lot of times we think perfect because that's in a lot of ways the church over the years has adopted that. But it doesn't have to do with perfection, but it has to do with distinction. It has to do with that you're set apart for a purpose because that's really what it means. Saint is like you're set apart. And so that's another thing is that when you come to follow Jesus and the fruit in your life is he set you apart for something. It's not just kind of like, well, we got another one. Put them with the rest of them, right? Put them with the rest of them. Put them in a building somewhere and let them sit there until I come back. No, he absolutely has a purpose for you. He absolutely has something for you. And it's a thing of distinction and it's a purpose. He's made you for that. And that purpose is to bear fruit for the gospel. Now, um, uh, this Lydda, where it is today, it's, it's, um, if you've ever been to Israel or if you look at a map, it's, it's the site of the Ben-Gurion Airport outside of Tel Aviv. So, it, you know, you can look today. There it is. So there's planes taking off where this is happening today. But as Peter approaches this paralyzed man, I want to point something out because sometimes we gloss over this and, and look at healing and stuff. And, and sometimes those of you that are like, hey, bear fruit, this is it. I'm going to go, just go pray for people to be healed. Well, how does healing happen? Okay. Um, you know, one is, is that there has to be faith involved. Okay. Faith is always involved. And, um, you know, and, and it's not that you, ha- it's not about the quantity, but faith is involved. Okay. Um, because I know I've prayed for people. Um, I know uh, the, the first person I prayed for, um, or it was, a, it was the first person I prayed for alone. I had prayed for other people uh, to be healed, and, and they were healed, but other people were sort of like, you know what? I, there was five hands in there. It had to be one of those other people, you know, right? And, but no, it was Jesus, right? It didn't have to do with which one. But I remember walking up to, you know, I was outside the bookstore at our church, and this, this, this woman was going to the women's Bible study, and she had a, you know, a brace on her arm, and that was the first time I prayed for somebody you know, by myself, and they, they were, you know, they were healed, and, um, you know, there was faith involved, but I'll tell you what, I was just doing it, because I'm like, oh, you're supposed to do this, right? But I didn't really actually think it was going to happen, right? And, and so, like, you know, 15, 20 minutes later, um, she had tendonitis in her hand, and, and, and from different stuff, and it was, it was, um, uh, it was um, very painful, and lots of pain, and she's sitting in the women's Bible study, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, 15, 20 minutes into it, she's, she's like this, and oh, wow. And, and people are like, what's wrong? She's like, my arm is just so hot. It's just, it's just there's like, it's like, it's like fire is on it. And, and, and then God healed it miraculously, right? So that's what God did. So faith was involved. I didn't have much faith. I, she didn't even know what was going on. She didn't really believe in healing. And so, but God did it, right? Um, and so Peter, I think, when this happened here, you know, this guy, because sometimes we can approach people that maybe have an infirmity or have a sickness, and because we want to pray for people, we like put it on them, like, oh, let me pray for you, let me pray for you, let me pray for you. And remember that God's number one is that people are loved, okay? That supersedes any idea like healing, okay? His number one healing is that people are loved. And so as you go about, if you like to pray for people or you have faith for that and you're walking in that, number one is you just want to love people, okay? And, and if somebody doesn't, they may not want to be 
prayed for healing. They may believe in all that sort of thing, but, but so don't always put it on people, right? Like it's your task to do. There has to be that part in the person that, that wants that, that has faith for that. And so just don't always put that on other people. Um, but that's, that's kind of a little bit of, of what happens, but God absolutely does it today. And you say to yourself, well, well you know, what's God's purpose in that? If, if, you know, ultimately we're all going to die, right? These bodies ultimately are going to, you know, go away. What's the purpose in that? Well, healing is one way that God shows his love for people. Um, I've seen non-believers, they don't have any faith in God, and I've seen God heal them and bring things into their lives. And I could sit there and argue with them all day long about truths and what they believe and what they don't believe. But if I say to them, like, hey, you know, do you have any pain? Do you have anything going on in your life? Yeah? Uh, Okay, well, let's pray right now for that. Okay, let's see if God shows up in that. That supersedes all that argument right there is they feel the presence of God and, and, and healing happens, right? In other words, some people, you could sit there and intellectually go after it, but then all of a sudden God shows up. It's like, I'm in. So that's, that's something that happens as well. Um, and then the other reason that he does it is, is to love the person, but then also too is to demonstrate the kingdom, demonstrate his love for people, demonstrate his rulership upon the world, that it's not about a building, but it goes all over the place. And so uh, notice in the last part of this verse here, it says that they turned to the Lord. All the people turned to the Lord. So typically what happens is, is when God demonstrates his rulership and his reign and people through healing and other things, people put their faith in Jesus. Uh, they trust in him. Uh, and that's another reason why God does this. Um, I love the term turned to the Lord uh, because it, 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 it speaks of, you know, some people say, well, I began to follow Jesus, right? But, but what were you following before, right? So turned is, the connotation is, I turn away from something to Jesus. And it's really important that we understand that because here's the thing. We all, apart from Jesus, have like our best mind, like, oh, this makes sense. This is where things come from. And, and you know, this is how things work. And you guys remember Mike Tyson? Yeah, boxer, right? Uh, Mike Tyson, one of the best quotes ever. Mike Tyson said, you know, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> right? And so everybody has a good belief system until life happens. Yeah. Right? Uh, and so everybody thinks they have life and everything figured out until, you know, real life happens. Because every belief system today is exactly that. It's a belief system, including atheism, uh, including, you know, you know, all sorts of things. Agnostic. Agnostic would say, hey, I don't know what I believe. I, don't, I can't know anything. Uh, atheist would say, you know, there is no God. You know, there's a problem with that because you, when you say there's no God, you're saying that there's no absolute truth. And the problem is, is when you say there's no absolute truth, you make an absolute truth. Yeah. Is that there's no absolute truth, right? And so life happens, And so we're all these people wandering around, believing in different things, trying to live by faith. We all do. Everything's faith. But see, Jesus comes in, and and, and life happens, and and he reveals himself in all sorts of ways. And he's doing that through Peter and these people as well. Now, next, in verse 36, it says, In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. 
and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Uh, She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and uh, many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Uh, and so we see the doing good life here. And, you know, you've maybe heard that term that people will call, like, you know, Christians, oh, you're a do-gooder, or that sort of thing. Well, here's the thing. It's a really good thing, isn't it? But with Tabitha or Dorcas here, what we see is, is it says, the language is she was always doing good and helping the poor. It's speaking of consistency. It's speaking of being filled with that, overflowing. It was a part of her life. It was a habit. It wasn't, you know, some people are filled with, the idea of doing good, uh, but it, they never really do any good. It's just kind of in their head, or they used to do good. But for Tabitha or Dorcas, uh, you know, it's, it's a consistent thing that's a part of her life, and you see the fruit of it, too. Um, <clears throat> you see that when Peter comes there, there's these widows that are there. She cared for them. She made them things, and they're all standing there crying, right? Well, you know, we all think, well, when I die, there's all these people just weeping, Oh, they're gone, right? Well, she's got this scene, but the crying isn't important. What's important is that they've got the fruit of what she did. Here's all the things that she made, right? She comforted them in their loss. She comforted them in what was going on, and they were able to show that to Peter and show what was happening. Now, it's interesting that Peter says, Tabitha, okay? Um, Go to the next slide, Uh, it says, it, says, it says, Tabitha, right? Senate, Tabitha, get up. So it's interesting because you may remember Jesus because all Peter's doing is he's modeling, he's mod- following the model that Jesus set. So do you remember Jesus as he was going along, uh, the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, came to him and said, my daughter's dying, will you come heal her? Right? Well, she died and what happened? They let Jesus know. He went to the house. He put everybody out, and he prayed. She came back to life. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up, rise up. So Peter's just like, hey, Jesus did it, right? Sometimes we give these guys way too much credit, like they're, they're professionals. All Peter's doing is he's like, what did Jesus do in this instant? Right? Because he's modeling his life after Jesus. He learned from him. So what he does is he uses her name Tabitha. So it would be Tabitha Kum. Tabitha, rise up or get up. And so he's like, hey, that's close enough. I'm, instead of using Dorcas, I'm going to use Tabitha. And so he's using this. And then, you know, she gets up and open her eyes. Same thing with the man that he healed in the passage before. What does he tell him? He says, get up and roll your mat up and get up. What did Jesus do? There was some friends that lowered down their friend through the roof, and, and Jesus says to him, he says, your sins are forgiven. They say, well, what are you doing? And he was trying to poke at the religious leaders. But then he, he tells him, he says, get up, take your mat and go. So all Peter's doing as he bears fruit 
is he's learned from Jesus, and now he's going to model his life after that and do the things that Jesus did. Now listen, this is not extra credit. This is not superpower stuff. This is not a Marvel movie. This is not DC. This is every single person that says, I follow Jesus. This is our life. Okay? It doesn't mean that you have to become a healer, like I'm going to become a certain thing, but you're just a follower. And as a follower, you do the things that Jesus did. And it doesn't mean that you have to be rampant and I didn't heal anybody today. That's not the point. But it's, it's, it's a part of your life. You make it a habit as you go about those things. And so we see that with Tabitha. We see that with Peter. Uh, and as a point, she was resuscitated. She wasn't resurrected, right? She's going to die again. Jesus was resurrected to a new body. So this is something totally different. <clears throat> Here's some takeaways that I want us to take out of this passage today and what we see. Is that the fruit and the character and the substance of Peter was the DNA of Jesus, and the substance and character of Dorcas, the character of them was the DNA of Jesus. And so Jesus has a certain DNA, uh, just in the same way that if you have children, those children have your DNA. Um, And then some stuff is DNA from nature, and then some stuff is DNA from from nurture, right? Uh, I look at some of my, my sons sometimes, and I'll see them do things, and I'm like, I'd love to discipline them with that, but I think I know where they got that from, right? It's just, it, it, it came from me, and it wasn't nature. It's like I taught them that. They saw that modeled by me. Uh, and so uh, religious activity, though, doesn't, alone doesn't produce the DNA of Jesus. So it's not about if I just read and memorize hard enough, or if I just give enough, or I just serve enough, but it's actually a friendship, and it's actually a closeness, and it's an intimacy And really, it's an obedience, okay? Um, It's an obedience, because Jesus said, if you love me, you obey me. And so you have to be following close enough that you can hear him speak to you, right? And how do you do that? Um, I know for me, it was just, and this is just a rule. Like, if if you're like, hey, I'm in. I I, want to order my life after Jesus. I don't want to play religious games and, you know, be interested. I want to be committed. Here's how it works, okay? This is just how it works, is um, you do, yeah, you read the Bible, yeah, you pray, um, those things, but it's, it's this. You're asking to hear from them, and it's just this. Just, you'll sense, I think you read something, or you hear something, and I think that's God. I think that's you, Lord. Okay, I'm going to do it, right? And it's a small thing, and you may do it, and you're like, nope, that totally wasn't him, you know? And, and you feel silly, right? It's, it's risk. But then he, he's talking to you about it. No, that wasn't me, but here's this, okay? And then you do something, it's like, wow, that was you, okay? And you get to know his voice. You, you get to know who he is, right? He says, my sheep, what? Know my voice, right? They, they know him. He's a shepherd. He's near enough that we can be known. And so, so we listen to him. We obey him. And then what happens is, is he'll give you bigger and bigger things to obey him on that not only impact you, but impact others and, and have bigger and bigger impacts upon the world and people's lives. And so that's it. You just start to obey the small things that he asks you to do, and you'll get to know his voice, and you'll begin to know him more and more. That's how you bear fruit. That's how you be a disciple of Jesus. There's not a different way than that. That's how you do it. 
Um, so Jesus, uh, the fruit that Jesus uh, wants and that he's intending, um, you know, is very specific. He spoke to, the next slide, Coop, uh, he spoke to, uh, next one, uh, he spoke to the rulers of his day, so the people that were in charge of religion and, and kind of helping people know God, this is what he said to them. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce its fruit. So Jesus is dead serious about his people producing fruit. He wants a certain fruit. And so the fruit of the kingdom is justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness is the fruit of the kingdom. And so what does that mean? Well, it means that, it means that the real things in real life are impacted. It means don't just keep it in the building and talk about these things. And there's a verse uh, in the New Testament where it says, you know, if you say to someone, God bless you, have a good day, but you don't take care of their needs, you know, you're not doing well. That's what it's talking about. So if, if, if my religion, if my faith in Jesus doesn't hit the street, it doesn't bring justice, it doesn't rise up people, it doesn't help people, then what is it? Yes, I may have a ticket for attorney, that sort of thing, but what is it really making a difference on? That's justice. Righteousness is right relationship with, with God, right relationship with people. So that spreads. That's the fruit that he wants. My life should bring right relationships with people and right relationships with God. He also defined his DNA, you know, and the root of it, uh, from Isaiah 61. He read this and he defined his whole thing. He read this and then he said, this is fulfilled in your presence. Luke 4, chapter, uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the year of the Lord's favor is, is Jubilee. You know, maybe you've heard that before. Jubilee was every 50 years, all is forgiven. If your family had to sell land and, and because you got in hard times or whatever, it'd be given back to you. Everything like, that was lost is given back to you because God's a restorer. And so what he's saying is, is like, it's the perpetual year of Jubilee. All is forgiven and new life has come. That's what I'm here to proclaim. So that's what he sets out. And that's you too. See, as a follower of Jesus, you, this is your marching orders. This is your calling. This is what it's about. So as you say, well, if I'm going to talk to the Lord about things and obey him, well, what does it have to do with? Well, it has to do with this. You're able to say the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And so he'll, he'll ask you to obey him and proclaim good news to the poor not just physically poor or economically poor, but people that are poor in relationship, poor in emotions, poor in spirit. That's what he'll ask you to obey him on. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind. So he'll not only ask you to proclaim it, but he'll ask you to pray and set people free as well. And so that's what he asks you to do. And then to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, he invites us into this life too. In the, the, the next verse here, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. What is he talking about? In the passage before, it's all about religion. He's talking about those of you that are weary and burdened from religion. Weary and burdened from trying to follow after God. I was listening to this podcast yesterday, and some of the first people that helped start Vineyard uh, churches 
And they were like, we came to know Jesus in the 60s, and, and you know, we were just so zealous and going after God. And after you know, about 10 years or so, we just got burnt out. We were just so on it all the time and doing this, and we had to do this, we had to do that. And, and then we just got hungry for him. And so everything just got stripped down. It, it was this. They were weary and burdened by religion, and then they took his yoke upon them. And, you know, and, and that's... See, this isn't just to the person that's outside, but this is, this is actually primarily to the religious person because the Pharisees, they had all these yokes. Uh, so if you were supposed to do something, they would call it the yoke of uh, righteousness or the, the yoke of service or the yoke of giving, or the, right? And you know, by the time I'm like, I'm yoked. I'm, I'm just absolutely yoked out. You know, I'm, I'm done. I can't do all these things. Isn't there a simpler way to know God? And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound good to, to yoke up to Jesus, to, to learn from him, to be his student, to be like him? You know, and here's how it happens, too. You know, it's, it's this. Jesus, what he says is, and he did it with his disciples. He says, I do you watch. And I've done this for years with, because um, this is what happened to me. You know, I came to know Jesus, and, and men and women uh, did this with me. They, I do, you watch. And so they'd serve, they'd preach, they'd pray for the sick, they'd do different things. And some, I'm like, hey, what are you doing? It's like, well, I'm doing this. And then it was like, you want to help? Sure. So it was, I do, you help. Uh, okay. And then um, helped with that. And then it's, you do, I help. And then you do, I watch. That's how it happens. That's how you follow after it. There's a very clear path to grow in Jesus and have this fruit, but it's yoked up to him. Let's stand together. We're going to have the band come up and um, worship with another song. And uh, also, too, uh, you know, just a reminder, you know, as we go into a very important part of our time together when we meet is ministry time, Okay. And so we have uh, coffee donut worshiping, right? Uh, we come in, we get going with that, and then we come in, we worship, and then we have announcements, we have a message, uh, and then uh, we always want to respond to what God's doing, respond to what he's doing, because it's not just something that resounds off the ceiling or, or that, that was nice, Right? but it's something that we respond to. So ministry time is that. And so, so ministry time, the way we approach it and work within it is, is we want to be people that um, if I have a need, like sometimes it's going to be like, yeah, I need um, encouragement. I'm discouraged. I feel lonely um, or I've got a pain, you know, an emotional pain or a physical pain. And I, I need help with that. Okay? That's ministry time, where it's like, hey, I need help with this, because God works through other people. Other times, it'll be that God will speak to you, like he'll give you something to share with somebody else. Uh, it's, it's really like, a, you know, around the holidays, you do a gift exchange. You guys know that? That's what ministry time is. It's a gift exchange. We, we function and move with that. So, so after this song, we'll do a little bit of that, but I want you to think to yourself, well, which category am I in today? You know, am I in the category of like, um, uh, I'm going to pray for somebody or encourage somebody, or has God spoken something to me to, to give somebody else today? 
or uh, am I in the, you know, the category of I, I need help today? Okay, so think about that because it's a, it's a participatory thing. But as we go into this last song, you know, I, uh, there's an old hymn. And, uh, you know, the old hymn is, I've got a river of life flowing within me. Okay, that's the title of the old hymn. Uh, but Phil Wickham uh, um, guy today, uh, he adapted the song into Spring Up Oh Well. And, and this is what he changed it into. And I want you to listen to it. Because this is your anthem, you guys. Like, this is it. Uh, if, you know, if you're dissatisfied with, with church, if you're dissatisfied with religion, if you're dissatisfied with Christianity, if you're dissatisfied with God, well, it very well could be that you're yoked up to some other stuff. And Jesus says, yoke up to me today. And he said, he said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come unto me and a well will spring up within them, the very life of God. That's what he says. And so listen to this. I mean, this is, this is your anthem, people. I mean, this is it. I mean, this is, if there's anything true, I know that this is true. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Right? Make the lame to walk and the blind to see. Open prison doors, set the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, O oh well, within my soul. Spring up, O oh well, and make me whole. Spring up, O oh well, and give to me that life abundantly. Now, don't miss the last, the third to last one, the spring up, O oh well, and make me whole. You see, you guys, we can be so ready to just like, God, would you make me whole? God, would you fix this relationship? God, would you do this thing for me? And here's what I know. The majority of the time, that thing that you want fixed doesn't happen until you're with other people. And a lot of times it doesn't happen until you're serving other people or giving away or giving away what you have. And so spring up, oh well. Will you be so bold to pray that? Spring up a well within me. You know, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. What a declaration. What a declaration. So God, we just come to you as people that are hungry. God, any time that you have moved in a big way and, and just many people have come to know you and your church has been revived and there's just been newness and life and growth and relationships healed. And anytime, God, it's when your people get hungry and thirsty, when they reject apathy, when they reject just being turning inward. And you said, don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to do. Don't worry about those things. I'm taking care of those things. And so, God, we, we want to turn from being so focused on our little needs and being so focused on the fear that's rampant in our society today, we want to turn from that to spring up, oh well. We want to turn from that and say, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and, and would you let me bear the fruit that you're so looking for? And so, Holy Spirit, take this garden that we're working within. Take this garden of Kansas City, of Piper, Leavenworth, Lansing, Edwardsville, Bonner Springs, Baser, Parkville, Zona Rosa. Take, take this garden that we're tending, God. Take it and we ask for great fruit, Lord, that's pleasing to you. 
work in our lives, God? Would you work in us, God, that, that do whatever it takes, God? Do whatever it takes that our friends and our neighbors and, and our coworkers and, and our family members would come to the saving knowledge of you, God. Work in us, God. Move in us, God. Fill us with your spirit, God. We are tired from dead religion. We want to come to you and take your yoke upon us. We want to receive rest, God. So come, Holy Spirit, in our midst. Move amongst us, God. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com.